0: This is the Low Tox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 164. I have the wonderful Rob Greenfield joining me on the show again. Uh, For those of you who missed the first time Rob was on, I absolutely encourage you to head back to that show so you can – Uh, get a feel for Rob's origin story, the light bulbs that went off and what steered him into his now direction of being an adventurer, activist, humanitarian, so dedicated to leading the way to a more sustainable and just world. Uh, He embarks on some pretty extreme projects to bring attention to important global issues. He's certainly a brave man and uh, through that work he inspires a lot of positive change because it gets people talking. So he's dived into dumpsters and he has worn a month's worth of trash through the streets of New York City. And this last, this last year, he has actually been growing and wild foraging 100% of the food he has eaten. So he can't even go to his next door neighbor with a beehive and borrow a teaspoon of honey. Every single bite of food, everything he drinks has to come from his own efforts of procurement. So it's been an inspiring uh, journey to follow on Instagram. And if you don't follow Rob there, there's some really rich conversation that happens uh, and I encourage you to do so. Um, But what I love about Rob is he embraces the grey, as we always talk about in the low-tox community. Nothing is black and white. There are always other areas to consider. There are always unchecked, uh hypocrisies is always a, a greater need for us to accept that we are imperfect beings just giving everything a red hot go in this space rather than trying to tear each other down for the thing that we haven't done perfectly yet that just drives me nuts and i'm so happy uh to when i read rob so generously and calmly chatting through those uh, concepts with people on his feed. He's a a great human. So this is a really, really good chat, uh, predominantly about this incredible year he's just had one week shy of finishing, might I add, where he's grown and for wild foraged all of his own food, and he's done that and travelled as well. So it's it was really interesting to hear how he was able to navigate some of this uh, year and uh, some of the ups and downs. You know, it wasn't all peachy keen and 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 fabulous. Uh, it's it's been uh, lots of twist and lots of twists and turns. So that conversation starts in just a little minute. I have a couple of things I wanted to say first. One is. Uh, of course, a big thank you to our new Lotox Club members. It uh, is a lot of work to put on a podcast every week and as the show grows, so do our costs because you take up more bandwidth and all those boring practical things that one has to think about, but we do and your support for the show and the work that we do is so great. I'm so grateful for it. And, of course, you get a little thing or two out of being a member of the Low Club as well. It's $4 US to join a month. You join via Patreon, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. So it's literally the cost of swapping out a coffee. And for that, you get 20% off all of our e-courses that help you, support you with the Low goals that you have. Um, and uh, beautiful chats with a wonderful Facebook community. Uh, We do the odd challenge in there to keep each other motivated and maybe turn a corner or go an extra step in one of the low-tox directions uh, and um, what else? And sometimes I'm able to get – past show guests on for little q a's and, uh, and interesting chats and then you get my monthly call with q a as well in there where we chat about anything goes so uh, i encourage anyone who hasn't joined yet to please come and join us there it's a really beautiful community that's building and uh, and i'd love to have you be a part of it Now we also have a new sponsor because it's November and I love bringing on high integrity sponsors to the show because they help you achieve your low-tox goals faster with some of the swaps that need to be made invariably. And, of course, the end game is to try and consume less but, of course, the end game is also that when we do – buy things or add things to our home that they are super high quality long lasting best of the best things that we actually save for and uh, make space for the best instead of buying a whole bunch of cheap and cheerful stuff that is so far from cheerful when we look at the true cost of things either down the line of production how people are treated or the bigger picture of landfill there is no away so investing in a great water filtration system is one of the best things you can do not only for your health but for or, um our beautiful planet uh, by stopping using some of these cheap things like, oh, my gosh, single-use plastic bottles. If you are still there, we are n- I'm not judging you, but it is absolutely your next thing to work on, right? We are behind you. You've got this. And getting a good water filter so that you've got clean water at home uh, that you can refill reusable bottles with is absolutely one of the essential steps to making that habit a thing of the past so waters co has joined me this month and i love these guys scott and his team are so passionate about bringing really fantastic water filtration systems to domestic personal commercial use Uh, and their water filters have been around since 1984 making them one of the longest running filtration companies available around the world they've been at this a while and they know how to do a very good job the creators didn't just stop at making great water filters to remove contaminants which average with which average basically up to 99% of common contaminants removed from the water that you drink from their systems but they also wanted to activate the water adding over 60 bioavailable essential minerals ionizing and restructuring the water so that you can experience the benefits of better hydration and energy, mental clarity, and overall wellbeing. How does that actually work? Well, okay, so the way I describe it is most many, many top water filters actually take everything out of the water, which is great, but they don't put the things back in the water that make the water make sense to us at a cellular level. Those minerals are key to us actually being hydrated at the cellular level. So the fact that they add over 60 bioavailable essential minerals back in is a really key part to why I think one of they're one of the best in the market that I've ever come across. So uh, I would encourage you to explore this beautiful brand. They are very high integrity, wonderful ethics. Uh, and you have 10% off for the whole month. Your code is low T X W C 23, either write that down now, or don't worry about it and head to the show notes when you're in front of the computer and, uh, you have 10% off all month, but You might want to wait until the 20th of November and I'll tell you why. We have a giveaway, $749 worth of one of their water filters. And I actually gifted my sister this water filter for Christmas uh, when they were, when she was pregnant with her first baby because I'm very passionate about clean water. Uh, and, and this is essential, especially if uh, you find that you're a parent and you're having to breastfeed, you're, you're, uh, you're having to bottle feed your child for whatever reasons. Uh, you know, a great water filtration system is so important, then you're not having to deal with boiling water, which can often concentrate uh, metals in the water and all sorts of jazz. So this Bio 500 filtration system Could well, is going to be one lucky listeners' prize this month. And all you have to do to enter is pop a comment in the show notes as to why you would like to win this water filter. That's it. Uh, And then we're going to draw that on uh, the 19th of November so that everyone's still got time to make the most of the offer. That's an offer for Australian listeners only. I'm so sorry, guys. Uh, I was so excited last month when I had an international offer from the Block Blue Light um, team. That was so good. Uh, but uh, never fear. You can actually find Waters Co. internationally if you want to check out their water systems. So enjoy. Good luck to everybody. And, of course, now it's time to bring you this incredible conversation. Oh Well, I thought it was incredible. I hope you guys do too. I can't wait to hear what you thought. Maybe. Maybe share how you were inspired by um, Rob's journey and what your next steps might be to growing more connected to your food sources. Uh, I think it's, you know, always just a journey and we're at a particular point in that journey and there's always a next step we can take. Um, we have a whole bunch of seedlings germinating in our kitchen right now and we're pretty excited about what the future might bring when they turn into beautiful big delicious vegetables for us to pick off our balcony so uh, it doesn't have to be that you live in the middle of the country to do something uh, you know to take your next step because Rob is in the middle of the city for most of this experiment so we really have so much that we can learn uh from rob and his uh incredible quest to do better by people and planet and uh, i think uh, i'm gonna stop rambling now so you guys can just check it out enjoy hello rob how are you hello hello i'm good how are you i am super well i am thrilled to have you back on the show Uh, You have not been resting on your laurels this past year since we last talked. There's been quite a bit going on. And today I guess the focus for us will be uh, the Food Freedom Project that you started nearly a year ago today, which is extraordinary. And there's so much not only that you've learned for yourself but for us, everybody, to learn from what you've been experiencing and sharing. And please, anyone who does not follow Rob yet on Instagram, it's a thought provoking feed. You always learn something. It always makes you think a different way. And I think that's why you do the work you do not just for yourself, but to, to get us all thinking uh, about how we can um, take steps to be more connected, you know, and less, less, less trapped, more connected to the good stuff, less trapped by the things we don't need. And, uh, and I think it's, I mean, there are so many places we could start, but I think the, the obvious place I want to start is your motivation for deciding that you were going to be responsible for 100% of what you ate for an entire year and drank by the way so no cheeky sip of a friend's (laughs) beer at a party or uh you know eating a cookie that a friend made like you literally were responsible for absolutely every bite and sip
1: yes so if i wanted to have a sip of beer i'd have to have grown all the ingredients fermented it and then waited for weeks or months to
0: get to drink that that is a commitment to beer <laughs> yeah did you do so, that at any point or no
1: well I actually don't really drink alcohol in the oh first okay day, right so, so that didn't um, really matter but I did make my own honey wine but it nice. was it was only two percent alcohol like so basically basically non-alcoholic but it was it was delicious I yeah I loved it
0: Oh, beautiful. And do you feel like there's something really extra special about when you have made an effort to create something that kind of society has taken out of our hands for so long now? You think, oh, well, I I don't do that. Or I don't even know how that would happen when you actually undertake a project like that. Is there a sense of pride that sort of connects you to it?
1: Yeah, I don't think there's anybody out there who's a, you know, a maker, a a DIYer, you know, a gardener, whatever, furniture maker, person who works on their car that that wouldn't say that there's so much more connection and uh, beauty to be felt when you build something yourself or you fix something yourself or you grow something yourself. And it changes the interaction you have with it completely as a you know as a food grower the food tastes different and that's partly because it's as fresh as can absolutely be straight from your garden but it's also because you just put in all the work to get that to your plate and there's the mental you know connection to it just like how someone loves their baby more than someone else's baby it's because you that baby was inside you yeah, Which yeah. I can't speak from that. I've never had a baby. But
0: <laughs> I can, but the- <laughs> and it's absolutely true. Not that I don't love other people's kids, but there is so much connection to your own child that you can't even express how deep that connection is. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, that's the way it is with food. Um, when you put in that work and you put in that love and the care, you, you, you experience it. So as to why, you know, why I decided to do this, there's a couple of reasons. First, it was just the burning question that I had inside me. You know, it's something that so many people dream of this idea of complete self-sufficiency of not going to the grocery store ever again of all their food coming from their land. And, you know, that's some that was a reality for most of the human experience. But it's 2019. And I live in a Western society that's completely disconnected from our food or not completely, but largely. So the question was: Can I, in two thousand nineteen, in the United States, grow and forage one hundred percent of my food? Can I step away from big ag? Can I step away from the globalized food system and not just survive, but actually thrive without them? Can I be a happy, healthy human without the need, without you know, the modern food system?
0: Mm. And, and, and that was, can yeah. I just stop you there because? what people might not realize is you didn't move to a farm with a whole bunch of farm tools to do this you just did this in like a little urban kind of cityscape
1: yeah so yeah I definitely you know I thought about the idea of doing this in the countryside you know living on a farm or something like that but ultimately I decided I wanted to do this in the city Mm. and partly because it's the place where I can, you know, reach the most people. I chose Orlando so media could easily come and visit. Um, And also because I, at this point, I am a bit of a social person and the idea of living in the countryside at this moment wasn't like, you know, I guess I'm a little bit more socially active than doing this
0: way out in in the country. Yeah, and for me it, it actually is so much more powerful to undertake these sorts of experiments in the city because it helps us realize that y- if you feel deeply connected to your social group in the city and yet you feel lit up by these concepts or you know just even wanting to embrace some of them you can do that and stay in the city. It's not about everybody having to abdicate and I think for me for for us to find a reconnection to nature as um, an aspirational notion. We need to make it aspirational for every type of person who wants to live in any type of place.
1: Yeah. And then that's exactly the other part of it. You know, I, it was a personal exploration for me, but, e- but equally it was about inspiring other people. It was about, you know, connecting people with their food. I have an agenda. I want people to rethink their food. I want them to think and, and I want them to learn where their food comes from, how it got to them, the impact that it had on the earth, other species, and ultimately the impact it will have on themselves. And so by embarking on this extreme adventure that people are obviously really curious about, it gets the conversation going about the bigger picture about our food. And so that's my goal is to get people thinking and questioning and then acting, you know, hmm. Uh, my goal is to get more people to start growing a little bit of their own food, supporting local farmers and buying from you know going to the local farmers market for for example, um, you know buying less processed packaged food and buying whole foods that you can cook meals with with the people you love, and that's really what it's about. It's about waking people up and inspiring change.
0: Yeah, and I love that Rob because you know so many people think oh gosh to do this right to do this perfectly. I have to grow all my own fruit hundred percent. It's like, no, we need lots of people doing it imperfectly and just incorporating some new ways of reconnecting to nature. Not, um, not feeling like you can't start unless you've committed to doing it. Whatever perfectly looks like anyway. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I that's where we often get lost in the game of progress.
1: You got to start somewhere. That's mm-hmm. the, the whole idea is to you know, inspire people to just start. Yeah. And, that's, you know, a little bit of a different thing for me is that when I started this, I actually had very little experience with growing food. I was, uh, I was, you know, I had been traveling mostly for the last six years or so. So the, I wasn't really, you know, able to, to grow a lot of food because I was traveling all the time. And so when I got to Orlando, I had, I moved there and within a couple of weeks got, you know, planted my first food. I had never grown anything in Orlando before and, or in the state of Florida hadn't, hadn't foraged the area before. And so I had to dive right in. I gave myself six months
0: mm-hmm.
1: to, to begin the year, which actually turned into 10 months. I didn't do it in sixth. Oh, uh, so before, you started
0: four months later than you wanted to originally.
1: Yeah, that, it's yeah. A little bit later. Um, And, yeah, so my first meal of the year was my first meal ever that I had grown and foraged completely.
0: Wow. I didn't realize that. That is really special. That must have – was there – gosh, what was going through your mind when you ate that first meal? (laughs) I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty crazy. If I recall,
1: I had – uh, this group, this uh, TV channel, France 2, uh, mm. over on this program called Envoy Especial. And oh, I yeah, big, I know Envoy yeah.
0: Special. I'm a half Frenchie, so. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's a good show. So they were,
1: yeah. here, they were with me for a week and they were with me the days lining up. And I honestly, I feel like I was so busy the whole time that the first meal was like just kind of throwing it together, super <laughs> hungry, trying <laughs> to get it together. <laughs>
0: And is there anything in the first couple of weeks that you, you know how like one reaches for certain things, you're just so used to being able to incorporate them into a meal that you thought, Oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to use that. Or, Ooh, that's actually not on the cards anymore. Or like, I have to rethink the way I incorporate fats or protein or, you know, anything that kind of was a usual fallback for you that you found quite tricky to navigate in the first weeks. Well,
1: I had thought this out a lot and mm. really planned ahead because if I hadn't planned ahead, I, I would have failed, you know? I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's just,
1: this is no task to take lightly. Mm. Um, but the challenging thing was I literally was reaching for things when I was walking through people's gardens and visiting farms. Still my natural intuition is just to pick food and eat it.
0: Yeah. And
1: so everywhere I went, I had to, resist that normal temptation in the garden to pick the food because when i say growing and forage that meant not eating from other people's gardens i had to grow it or forage it because and the thing is here in orlando half of my friends have food forests so if i ate from their garden then i wouldn't have had to learn how to do this and it would have still been a beautiful experience to do it that way but I wouldn't have learned because this way I had to force myself to learn each food, each ingredient that I wanted. I had to figure out how to either grow it or get it from the wild.
0: Mm, so powerful and really, really hard. What was the, the toughest thing to grow the whole year?
1: Hmm, well, a little note on that: is my focus, what, what my strategy was to grow to talk to the locals and grow whatever grows so ridiculous easy, ridiculously easy <laughs> that you can't eat it all. Good so, plan. Good plan. Know, <laughs> yeah. Plants that have, you know, almost no pests or no pests that can handle drought that, you know, can basically be neglected and even thrive on neglect. So that was my focus. Um, now with that, with that being said, I did try other foods. I mean that like I didn't depend on them.
0: Yeah. I know what you're saying though. You got your base stuff sorted so you knew there would be food and then you could experiment on top of that.
1: Yeah. So one of the ones that I, well, sunflowers and the reason is sunflowers are beautiful, but I also wanted to make sunflower seed butter. That was a (laughs) dream of mine Wow. With, with, with homemade coconut oil from coconuts that I forage honey from the bees that I stewarded harvesting the honey and maybe a little sea salt from the ocean that I harvested. And I just wanted to, I wanted that so bad, but (laughs) squirrels ate all my sunflowers. Oh no.
0: Ah, man. (laughs) Coexisting can be tough sometimes. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And then (laughs) peanuts. I did grow peanuts and I've been munching on them the last week or so. I've been eating a a handful of peanuts you know here and there but I didn't get enough to also make peanut butter and that was something if I would had oh my gosh if I would have had a jar of nut butter per week to eat mm. oh, this would have been oh except to be honest I finished a jar of during this project I actually did make coconut butter which was amazing yeah um, and a jar would
0: not last a week I you know <laughs> I would just I would just eat that up <laughs> Did you do um, any medical tests before you started? Was was that a part of this experiment to also prove that your your base nutrients could um, could still be at healthy levels?
1: Yes, and not because I was trying. I want to show that this diet is healthy for anyone else.
0: No, no. Um,
1: But because I wanted to see if I could remain healthy for this year, and so yeah, I got um, some blood work done at the beginning of the project. And then I will be doing it again, I guess probably next week. I actually was just trying to figure out how to schedule an appointment today. So I will have that baseline comparison. And I've also been weighing myself. Uh, I've managed to, I mean, the good news is I weigh the same as when I started. So that was one of the big worries. You know, I started at about 153 pounds. Didn't have a lot of weight to lose, but still, if things didn't go well, I could have lost 10, 20 pounds Mm. um but i'm happy to say that i weigh basically the same as when i exact same when i as when i started so that's a great sign and then i'll find out in a couple weeks how i'll be able to compare the you know the inside yeah
0: and and then how do you um just curious because i know you also are very interested in trying to disconnect from the money system do you just pay for that doctor's appointment or is that an equal exchange of, uh, you know, going to the doctor because they're part of the project? How does that work?
1: Yeah. So how I wasn't originally going to do the, the blood work at all because of the money. And when I started this project, I was, I, I think I had like less than a thousand dollars at that time. Mm. So spending a couple hundred dollars on that was not something I was really wanting to do. I was very interested, but wasn't going to do it. And then. Sort of last minute, Envoy Especial, they said they were interested in, and they they thought, hey, what about we do a full length feature documentary and we come back like throughout this project? And I said, yeah, let's do that. And so they actually wanted to do the blood work. Mm. So we went in and they covered it as part of the documentary. Perfect. Um, Now, the documentary didn't end up happening. So they're not, it's like, it, guys,
0: they're I want to go see the doctor again. Where are you? <laughs> so
1: this time it will come out of pocket. And it looks like yeah. it'll be about $200, which it'll be worth it. It's not my favorite way to spend $200. And also, I kind of avoid it because of the resources going. I know I'm healthy pretty yeah. much. So yeah, I yeah. pretty much know what it's going to be. But um, I would like to have that, phys- that foundational element to see really see the changes Mm. Um, so yeah that's what i'll do i'll spend a couple hundred dollars for that i do have to say since i'm not able to share the blood work now i will say though i feel much better today than i did when i started um i feel my body feels complete i really feel like i'm not deficient in anything except occasionally sleep Mm -hmm. um but yeah no I, i i can say Today's day three hundred fifty-one, so I have two weeks left, and I can say that uh, my body feels like it's really gotten everything it's needed over the last um, fifty-one weeks.
0: Well, it's you know, it's not often we can actually point to an example of someone who is living completely off their local land like even a farmer would maybe buy a pack of oreos at the supermarket for the kids or you know what i mean like it's very rare that you would actually get someone completely locally nutritionally in tune well Uh, it's
1: even more rare than the oreos i mean the reality is most farmers don't grow their own grains they're going to buy the grain and the flour that you know what you do see the most common is people able to produce their fruits and their vegetables. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of people raise their own meat, but most don't make their own oil. um, And then the grains and, and then uh, nuts, things like that. So, I mean, I've been searching and I have not found anybody that um, that's done this. And some people say, well, just go to, you know, developing countries and everybody's doing it. But that's only because they're ridiculously uneducated on what's going on there. Because the reality is, is that people in developing nations don't have land because Western diets have pillaged that land. Mm. Like for example, in Peru, yeah, they used to produce their own quinoa, but the price went up 15 times and I was in Peru. It used to cost 10 cents. Now it's $1.50. The people who used to grow it can't afford it and they no longer even have their staple grain. Mm. So the reality is, is that you know the the, the grains are, have been turned into global commodities, including rice and corn. And so you go to these countries, and no, the people living off the people living in poverty are are not uh, living off the land. Um, and again, it's because of I, it's largely because of the Western diets getting you know getting in there
0: and changing everything. Exactly, it's like bad coffee in Colombia. It's like, hold on, why is the coffee bad here? It's like, because it's all going overseas and we're left with, you know, the not good stuff. It's crazy.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. So um, so you've just mentioned travel there and I would love to ask you then, because I know you actually did travel during this time, how on earth did you travel and keep this up? What was What was the planning involved in that?
1: Yeah, that was certainly... Oh, planning, lots of it. I mean, just imagine, imagine to just figure out how you're going to travel. You need spreadsheets counting your calories and where you're going to get your nutrients. And you're going by days and you're counting, okay, how many calories do I need to store away? And how many days can I be gone? And what possible things will I be able to forage up there and combining those things? Mm-hmm. And that's what I was doing, crunching numbers. That's a, a lot of what it was for me because calories and not that I count. Not that I'm a fan of necessarily counting calories, but when you need to survive, you need to get enough food in you. Mm. So um, yeah, there was a lot of preparing. I spent many, many hours dehydrating food, mangoes and bananas dehydrating so I could carry those with me, making lots of flour from yuca or cassava and yam. Um, so, you know, dehydrating those and then blending that to make a flour that I could travel with. And coconut shreds. And it was another very calorie dense. So, I I left Florida to head up to Wisconsin, my homeland, to spend a good portion of the summer. And I left with around a hundred thousand calories. So that'd be fifty days at two thousand calories. Yeah. And I planned to be gone for one to two months. I ended up staying for close to three months because I just absolutely loved it up there. And the food was abundant. I mean, people think about Florida and and they say like, you can only do this because you're in Florida. But yes, the year-round growing climate here is amazing. But honestly, the biggest, the the most amazing abundance I've experienced has not been here in Florida. It's been in Wisconsin and Minnesota, in the you know late summer, early fall, it's a bounty like you can't even imagine once you start to learn all the foods that that exist there that are growing wildly.
0: Wow. What were some of your favorite discoveries? Well I love any
1: food that grows in large quantities and is you know readily available. And so for me, apples in Mm -hmm. my hometown of Ashland, Wisconsin, where I spent seven weeks. I I could name 50 apple trees off the top of my head right now probably that are all publicly accessible on, on, on our bike trails. And so the apples, I made applesauce, and then I also made apple plum pear sauce. And, oh, I could go for some applesauce right now.
0: <laughs> Sounds delicious. Um, and did you feel like... Because obviously, when you're in your hometown, I'm assuming there was family, very close old friends around. Did you feel like uh, you were in any way disconnected because your food had to be different to other people? I mean, I know people struggle with this just having an intolerance and not being able to eat, like, let's say gluten or dairy or whatever, like at a communal family table the eyes roll. Oh, you're allergic to everything. You know, I I never know what to cook for you. Obviously I never know what to cook for you. wasn't the worry that people had with you during this year because they knew they didn't have to, but you know, sharing food together, did you find that people felt disconnected in any way or an energy around that at any point?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that's the reality is that I was separated. Food Mm. is our, Food is the center of our social lives. Um, it's the center of our existence. You know, many of us eat to live and live to eat, mm. including me. I love food. It's my passion. And so sharing food is absolutely one of my passions. I just love sharing food with others. And my, my main thing that I probably do with friends is get together and cook. Like that's probably my favorite way to spend time with friends is to make healthy meals together. So that was a challenging aspect of the trip, uh, of the project. And, but it was, it was just that, a challenge, and a challenge that was worth it. Because the thing is, I isolate myself. I do different projects all the time. And it's, it's something that I'm used to. I've been someone who isolates myself for these immersive projects since, uh, I guess, since 2013 was my first project. But I feel like I've always had an element of that. Um, you know, a desire to see if I can live with, without seeing people. And there's that, that, there's that quest in me for basic things like silence and, you know, deep, true connection with nature and such. So it's not as bad for me because as much as I'm a people person, I'm also very much a person who can go off on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was certainly a challenge, but at the same time for me, it was also just kind of normal life in a way too.
0: Mm, absolutely, and one of the things that was really, uh, really touching and emotional to me was your roadkill moment, where you decided to take that um, that animal and and use it for food, and there was some really interesting emotional conversation that happened around that week when you did that. Uh, you know, maybe a lot of people from the vegan community assumed that because you were growing and foraging that you were a vegan or maybe that was a real shock to them um, and I and I think it's a really interesting time because we do know that unless you are growing and foraging all your own plant foods it's actually impossible not to kill another life to eat mm. uh, in any any type of eating uh, and so for me I, I always think quite big picture and I see all the gray area and I'm very accepting of Everybody and uh, their uh, personal choices, and I'd love to just hear a little bit about, about what was going through your head during that time, and um, and you know how it played out for you, basically. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I think if I recall, you just said we all know that all of, that our food does kill, mm. and the thing is, the problem is that we don't all know that yeah that's that's true that's one of the disconnects i have seen over and over in the current vegan movement is that a lot of people think oh because it says vegan and because it says vegan and it says organic that there's no losses of life and that it's you know it's truly sustainable and just food but the reality is is that any food we're buying at the grocery store or at the farmers' market, animals are dying because of that. And it's almost yeah. every action that we take. Mm. Death, is, death is something that is a product well, death just exists. but the way that death is currently is, is a product of our globalized lives period, the energy that we use, um, the trash that we create, you know, even recycling, anywhere where we're building buildings and replacing natural land um it's it's all causing death and so i'm you know my basic central message today is that the world is not black and white everything's gray so some people yeah some people like just got all up in arms about me eating a deer that would can't you know that had been hit by a car that i picked up off the side of the road um and and then at the same time they don't realize that the food that they're buying from the grocery store is actually killing i actually didn't kill anything i actually utilized a you know resource that had gone that would go to waste and so you know that was why i posted about it yeah. was to be able to create that conversation around it and because i have to be honest about where i'm getting my food from for this year because that's the thing I, you know i'm I, i'm sharing the the story of how it's all working. Um, but yeah, so that's really, you know, it's all about really understanding our food and realizing that, well, there is no, there is no real sustainable food that almost any of us are that are almost any of us are eating.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, you could argue that that was one of the most zero waste vegan things you could have done, uh, in, in that moment.
1: Yeah. It's funny. I said so one of the top comments on, it said, I'm vegan and this is the most vegan thing I've ever seen, mm. <laughs> which, you know, that's the thing. It's again, it's about, it's about not not thinking black and white. A lot of vegans understood it completely and supported it. Yeah. Other Others that just have, I mean, there's some of these extreme ideas. There's the extreme idea that meat is toxic period, but mm. I mean, come on, humans have existed for millions of years with meat. I mean, well, just-
0: and there's a whole bunch of meat eaters that think vegan is toxic. You know what I mean? Like the the yeah. black and white thinking exists in every camp. And it, it, that's, to me, what is toxic, in fact.
1: Yeah, it's really, I mean, if you take away the emotion and the dogma, you look, you see there's 7 billion people on earth doing a wide range of things. And for some people, this works. And for some people... That works. And just these ideas that one solution for the 7 billion, the 200 nations, the thousands of cultures, it's just, it's ultimately extremely uneducated to to have any sort of black and white belief system like that.
0: A hundred percent. Gosh, I was doing a breakfast workshop for five executives the other morning. And each one of them was sharing, you know, what helped them feel like they were thriving and had, you know, their their best performing days always seemed to be a product of certain foods that they combined and ate. And it was different for each of the five people. And for me, that is, in a nutshell, uh, the the human experience when it comes to nutrition. Yeah, mm. absolutely. So uh, that's that's very interesting. So we've talked about travel I, I mean i'm now dreaming of apple We <laughs> talked about dietary dogma and and so many deep things and i'm thinking the next place i want to go is back onto connection and connection with new people obviously when you undertake something like this i would imagine a heck of a lot of doors would open up to a heck of a lot of new conversations and people What have been some of the highlights over the year uh, in that aspect?
1: Um, I mean, it's been just a, it's been just a a truly beautiful year. I think one of the things that as far as connecting with people that's been so great is uh, meeting foragers. The reality of this is that, you know, it might, I grew and foraged all my food for the year, Mm. but and, and it was kind of an individualistic, alone experience. But the reality is that I couldn't have done any of this without community. The only reason I had any of this knowledge is because of the knowledge of everyone before me. Now, a lot of that knowledge came from, you know, modern people, foragers, uh, you know, gardeners. But when you go deeper back, where is that information all from? That's from our ancestors. It's from you know, here a lot of what I did ultimately all that knowledge came from the Native Americans, the people that you know walked this land before. Mm-hmm. And so, all of this is only possible because of the people before me. And then, you know, as far as currently, the only reason I was able to grow all my food is because of nurseries and friends who gave me cuttings and people that I could get seeds from, all creating this foundation of a movement of people trying to you know that are helping to others to grow their own food and as far as foraging i foraged over 200 different species in the last year wow. and all of that was knowledge from books that i read sam thayer's books are some of my favorite he's a forager up in wisconsin and you know the public library getting books there websites like uh, eattheweeds.com that's green dean i went out on local foraging classes with him here just foragers that I met, you know, through social media, as I was traveling, I'd find foragers and they'd take me out, teach me mushrooms. And, you know, although I foraged the food, a lot of times they would know where the mushrooms were, and they would take me to the mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have been able to do this at all. I, I really don't think I'd have. No, I couldn't have done this without people. This was definitely a community project.
0: Yeah, beautiful. And did you eat anything over the year in your foraging uh, that made you feel sick? No. Wow, Um, fantastic. Yeah, I, well,
1: when I stay up too late and I don't get enough sleep, my digestion is not good. Oh, really? Um, That's one of the most important things is to get enough sleep. Everything's Mm. so, life is just so much better. And so I definitely have had, I definitely had, you know, upset stomachs and possibly like some like diarrhea type of situations, but not sick. It's just like being a little run down. Um, But it wasn't because of any food or anything like that. So no, nothing that I ate ever made me sick. I did get run down a few times. Um, but that's that's what i that's what I do when I'm eating food at the grocery store too.
0: Yeah, exactly, that's right. And uh, you I'm trying to figure out the timeline, and I can't quite remember. did the tiny house building happen before the start of this year?
1: Yes, I built the tiny house in about July. Yeah. Um, was that part of your prep and setup for the year? Yeah. Well, mm. my plan was that as soon as I got to Florida to basically build it and have it built in a month and be, you know, live there for the whole 2 years. But it ended up I got there in December and I didn't build the tiny house until July, so about 7 months. And so the first 4 months I ended up staying in a guest bedroom of someone's house and I built them a huge front yard, front yard garden. Mm. Um And so, yeah, the tiny house was, was, you know, a centerpiece of the project to, you know, live, live in that house and live largely self-sustained while growing and foraging all my food.
0: Yeah. Amazing. And you're not there anymore though. Why, why the change? So the, well, the reason I'm not there
1: is because the plan was always to not be there after two years and Mm -hmm. the two years is almost up. So today's October 28th and, um, my two years in Florida is almost up. And so that the and I'm leaving Florida in a month. So that's always been the plan. Now, I assumed that I'd live in the tiny house, like till right when I was leaving. Mm -hmm. But two things happened. One, the woman whose backyard I built it in, who the plan was originally for her to keep that tiny house. And that was one of the things about being there. She would get this, you know, tiny house out of the out of the situation out of the work exchange but she ultimately decided she wouldn't really use it so there was no point in it being in her backyard um and then secondly the city actually came and so i either had to get the tiny house permitted or move it and the reality is i couldn't permit it because it wasn't fully permittable there was like some things that were, I mean, it was a solid thing, but there were a few things I built it to basically be a shed, but there were a few things with the design that I wouldn't have been able to get a permit. So those two things led to me saying, okay, well this, this, this lines up, I'm going to figure out. a." But then the question was, how do I figure out, how do I find a way to use this for good? How do I turn this, you know, tricky situation that I wasn't stoked about into an amazing situation and what i decided to do was donate it to a um a community in sebastian florida called sustainable kashi where they could use it to host their eco volunteers for years to come and so then it would actually get used for you know many years by hundreds of people rather than possibly sitting in a backyard unused and and even you know another great part of it is that when i was up in wisconsin when this was happening i realized I don't even really want to spend too much more time in Orlando. It's a big city. It's a noisy place. And it was so beautiful in Wisconsin that I just wanted more of that quiet. and mm. peace. Yeah. So I decided I would stay most of the rest of my time in Florida at Sustainable Kashi as well and just go back to Orlando every 10 days or so to get a whole bunch of food and then come back here. And so that's what I've been doing. And so that situation that could have been really just a huge bummer has turned into just an absolute blessing. I'm so thankful for how it turned out.
0: Mm. It's such a lesson, isn't it? That if we hang on too tightly to what we thought was supposed to be planned when it doesn't go, then it stops us from leaning into the possibility of what the pivot looks like. Absolutely. Mm. Um, And so Um, uh, On one note that I got a lot of questions from, from readers that basically were the same question when they knew I was going to be chatting to you again. What are you going to eat that you didn't grow? What will your first thing be? I can't imagine Rob heading to a Walmart and stocking up on Twinkies. That's so not what I'm picturing for you, but like, there'll be something simple that you've been craving from uh, the the natural world, I'm sure. What is it?
1: Yeah. So you're absolutely right. I have no desire to go to the grocery store. I have no desire to give money to get food back after a year of non-monetized food. I don't want anything from a package or processed. It makes me anxious to think about my food traveling long distances or traveling along conveyor belts before getting to me, I know I'm going to enter that world, but I'm going to delay it. And so the first food will definitely not be that. And I'm a, I, you know, over the last year, I have grown and foraged over 300 different species. It's been very abundant. And lately, I haven't missed any particular food lately. I was missing some foods and in the year and i definitely should say i had my ups and downs There were really tough times and times that i wanted to quit but as the last month or two i'm just i'm not craving any particular foods what i'm craving is convenience and mm. sharing with others so honestly what comes to mind the first thing that i probably will eat that i don't grow or forage is somebody who brings me something they grew or foraged mm. and that's perfect because i want to continue eating local you know local you know sustainably raised food but it doesn't have to be my own it can be yeah. a- anybody anybody's garden anybody's local farm um and so that's probably what i'll end up eating is whatever somebody hands me that uh is is you know that they grew or foraged that I, I don't know what that'll be but I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully a jar of peanut butter for you, Rob. I'm hoping.
1: <laughs> peanut butter would be good. Um, but the problem is that peanuts don't grow too well here in Florida. So oh, that okay. Probably, that probably won't be my first, but I will definitely be getting into the nut butters um, yeah. before too long. No, no mm. doubt about that. And then as far as what I'm going to get back into, what makes sense, you know, again, it's not, you know, the thing's not black and white. I'm not into... The globalization of food but what makes sense is shipping lightweight items that are very nutritionally dense and or calorically dense so mm-hmm. for example it makes sense to ship teas and herbs and spices and grains you know those those are all are they don't have to be refrigerated they can travel really easily you can pack so much of that onto a, uh, you know, rail and, and ship, but like beer, wine, bottled water, all of these things are extremely heavy. And for the most part, you're just shipping water, which exists everywhere. percent. So, you know, yeah. from, yeah. So for me, that's, you know, it's about that, you know, thinking about the, it being reasonable. And so that's what I will be. I will be buying those bulk items. Definitely cacao, um, making some cacao drinks, um, that's, <laughs> that is one of my, that's going to be one of my first non-local
0: foods probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think if I had had 365 days away from cocoa, uh, at like any kind of chocolate product, that that would be my first of call as well, I got to say. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, and in terms of where you want to be next, uh, it sounds like you did have a very... Uh, Solid idea that Orlando had a finish date for you. So where is next?
1: Well, um, as of now, it's looking like I'll be heading first stop to Atlanta just for two nights. And then from there, I'm going to be heading to New York. I'll spend about a week in New York doing some media Mm -hmm. and uh, also going to be doing a talk there. From there, I'll take a train clear across the country to Los Angeles. It's a three-day train ride wow and i'll probably as of now spend um december in sandia in california um i'll be doing some media and speaking there and then um then i start my world speaking tour my world solutions tour and for 2020 i'll be traveling for pretty much the entire year um i'll be in as of now costa rica europe all over europe for about five months um all like all western eastern the balkan mediterranean all over europe and then for sure um india and then eastern asia and then australia probably new zealand and then possibly hawaii on the way back to the united states and other places in between i'm i'm guessing but the idea of that is it's the world solutions tour and so i will be Visiting and sharing solutions to many of our environmental problems and what people can do Where they don't have to wait on corporations They don't have to wait on governments to start to be the change they wish to see in the world now Mm. And so my goal through it is really to inspire and empower people Partly through my speaking but largely through the videos I produce and the writing sharing these solutions and then at the same time supporting these solutions um, that I really see as what you know the world needs to to learn about and and adapt and do more of
0: mm, beautiful and can I ask a question and it's one that i i don't grapple with it, but I'm always conscious of it myself uh, as someone who uh, speaks, and uh, part of that is um, you know education is such a passion for me, and I do love helping wake people up and realise that not everything is black and white and we can all find our grey, move forward towards better things and better ways of of being in the world, more connected. But the aspect of travel sometimes really gets me down, as well as me being internationally born and having family overseas. Uh, And I, I know that this would probably be something that would have gone into your mind, like, okay, how do I reconcile this? And I'll tell you how I reconcile it, and then I'd be very keen to hear what you do. Okay. Um, and for me, it is I can make more of a difference travelling than I can staying put. Uh, and so if I can wake as many people up as possible uh, to simply taking some steps forward for people's health and planet, uh, then it is actually better. And then the ways that I can economise that is to try and take a train if I can, to try and do a webinar if that's possible for that particular subject, uh, to group travel together so it all happens in one go rather than lots of return trips. Uh, And, you know, that's kind of how I make peace with it. I can do more good on the road than not. What goes through your mind with that aspect of uh, the the travel aspect?
1: Yeah, so we live in a transitional time Mm. and uh, that is a time when we can't necessarily live out our, our ethics and our beliefs to the level that we'd like to and create change. Mm. You know, I could go live in a, a lot of people would love to see me just go live in a log cabin <laughs> uh, in the woods and, you know, grow and forage all my food and maybe some people would come visit. Of course they'd have to travel. Mm. Um, and just live the example to the fullest extent but to live the fullest extent i i couldn't be even having this conversation because yeah. the entire technological the reality uh, most people don't know the tech the the destruction that, is, that exists just for us to be having a conversation online a book i'd recommend is called uh drinking molotov cocktails with gandhi by mark boyle and it's about <laughs> what is nonviolence yeah and what you'll learn is that in order for us to use the internet violence is happening on our behalf an incredible amount of destruction and so you can't really be an activist you can't really be a humanitarian someone who really cares about people and the planet without being a hypocrite you have you're gonna be a hypocrite Mm. so now flying is a it's a little different because it is the most destructive thing that we do on any given day. Um, the carbon you know, output of flying is, is massive compared to anything else that we do with that you know, individual action. So not flying would be one of the biggest things we can do. Now, for me, I do it because I truly believe that the impact that I can make through it is worth it. Mm-hmm. And so other, otherwise, I would not do it. So what I'm doing um, is, for example, like when I fly, flew to Europe the last two times, I think both, well, one was for a TEDx talk and, I, and the other was for another talk. I didn't go for one talk. Both times I organized about 30 talks yeah. and I didn't just jet over there for the weekend. I spent seven weeks over there speaking to really be worthwhile. And then what I've committed to is triple carbon offsetting my flights using um, the gold standard of carbon offsets, which is the highest standard and which is third-party verified. Mm. So they're actually quality carbon offsets. Now I'm not saying that it's like just fly carbon offset, everything's fine. No, the fly no. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. But this for this tour, I'm actually doing. Um, 10 times offsetting my carbon and also through those offsets they'll actually go to positively impacting people now and improving their quality of life. So, you know, the idea is that I I actually think that by flying I can actually make things better rather than worse. I think in this transitional time with transitional ethics that the flying is truly worthwhile and that's why I am doing it.
0: Mm, you you articulated it better than me, but I echo your thoughts completely. And uh, I'm going to make a commitment here live on the show. I always tick my carbon offset box uh, and Qantas actually do some incredible work in the offsetting space, uh, investing in some great projects. But I am going to actively calculate all the other little bits, the taxi to the small hotel and all those other things and make sure I'm offsetting across the entire trip rather than yeah. just the flight. I think that's really important. And you could
1: save yourself a lot of time and just round way up. You know, mm, like, Yeah, exactly. Just, exactly. Yeah. Just figure, okay, it would probably be about this. Just times it by five Yeah. and just do that. And then you don't have to, and it's only going to, it's not going it's, to, it's not going to cost that much extra money, but it will make an impact. And then you don't even have to spend the time figuring out each little detail if you just make sure you're going above and beyond.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's more about like, you know, what would a human use in an average business work trip day? And then just times it by how many days you're away. But I think that's, you know, yes, it's important that we don't all start to think we can just offset life because we cannot. Um, but when when one does have that experience of knowing you're going to do better by travelling than worse, then we can actively... Um, Offset in those situations. So I think I'm glad we had that chat because it is something that people in our space who do the work uh, do similar work. You know, it's something you kind of do think, Am I doing this? Like, am I just reconciling? Is it another thing that I'm reconciling to be able to do it and be okay with it?
1: And that's important
0: that people
1: actually be honest with themselves. Mm. I'm saying this because I'm honest with myself. This isn't me saying you can just rationalize in this way. Mm. Because you work at WWF uh, or Greenpeace and say, well, overall, it's good work. No, because when you look at those big organizations, a lot of those are flights that are completely unnecessary. And so not only do you have to make sure you're actually answering truthfully and not delusionally, but also you need to look at every instance. Mm. Just because you do good work doesn't mean that you can always rationalize flying you actually have to look at the, the bigger picture. And again, I can't say it enough times, be honest with yourself and don't like, lead
0: yourself into a path of delusion. Mm, very, very good words. Uh, I want to finish by asking you about money. And this is kind of where we finished our last conversation, actually. But I, I find your, uh, your curiosity commitment to how to con- con- constantly detach from the need for uh, Money—it's—it's it, really—it's—it's it's fascinating. So, uh, you said on Insta the other day, while you didn't have any retirement savings, you felt more secure than you believe most people to be as they get older. What led you to say that, and what are some of the thoughts behind it?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, there's this idea that a retirement plan and health insurance and having, you know, a house and all of that is security. Mm. But we know that's not true. We know that that's not real security. We live, you know, I live here in the United States. We live in a time where those things are not secure. We have governments that change things drastically from one year to the next. You go back to 2008, 2009, a lot of people lost their lives work over, in in a year, They lost their house and then like literally became homeless because of corrupt corporations that they had put their trust in who you know runs these retirement plans not people that have the, their best interests in mind people who are looking to make money off of people mm. and and then so it's not true security and then you also look deeper and the question is if the world's not secure for others is it really that secure for you my answer is no I think we're all extensions of one another so in no way shape or form do I want to create a life where i'm creating security for my future when it's over the security of someone else's so why would i invest in 401k's that actually are invested in cigarettes and fossil fuels when i don't support that and i don't want anyone else uh i don't and i don't support those companies that are pillaging our planet and our health so And then, you know, the bigger picture also is that you see that these things, they're not real security when you don't have, you know, basic health anymore. So for me, security is our relationships. I believe, you know, for me personally, I believe if I dedicate my life to the service of others, that when I need basic help, it will be there. That to me is true security dedicating my life to helping others. I think that they'll be there for me. And the same with resources and nature. The earth can provide. Gandhi said the earth can provide for every man's needs, but not every man's greed. And I should say human, not man. Mm. Uh, But I believe the earth can provide. And I've seen that through a lot of my life's work. And so for me, it's about building relationships with the earth, working well with the earth, understanding the resources that are readily abundant to me and to others, and using that as a a form of security. So it's about relationships, relationships with people, with other species, with the earth as a whole. And uh, I just don't believe that money is, is real
0: security. Mm, such 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 true words, really, it is like I think we are just so caught up in money being security that we wouldn 't even know where to start by not feeling that feeling uh, in so many cases, and what you 've shown us in this conversation is that it it can be something as simple as just starting to grow a couple of things and realizing that security is in your smarts to connecting with the land and the people around you, community. community. Uh, it's beautiful. And I think I'd love to ask you one last question, actually, which is obviously there's a whole bunch of people who live very uh, modern lives in the middle of cities. We have a lot of amazing rural people, regional people, farmers, lots of different people from all over the world listening to the show. But for the people who are listening to this and thinking, gosh, I am so disconnected. Uh, Maybe even feeling a sense of shame around how disconnected, because often shame is the first enlightenment uh, step where, you know, you go, oh, my gosh, what have I been doing? Um, What would you say would be the most useful baby step someone could take to reconnecting uh, in a meaningful way to the land and the food and where it comes from?
1: Mm, You know... There's so many little steps that you can take. Um, First, you have to know where you're at. So actually knowing where your food comes from, doing a little research, figuring that out. You don't have to go into every single food, but getting a good general idea of where your food actually comes from and the impact that it has on the earth. And then if you don't like what you find, then think about changing it if you want your actions to be in alignment with your beliefs. So Simple, easy things to do are find where your local farmers are. The farmer's market is a great place to do that. Um, local food co-ops or you know, are another great place to do that, like small local farm stands. So it could be just a matter of changing where you're buying your food, which is a fairly easy thing to do for probably most of the people listening to this. Another big one is just starting to grow some food. And that could be as simple as an herb garden on your, you know, on your windowsill if you live in the city and don't have much space. It could be, you know, some tomatoes and basil in pots on your balcony. It could be, you know, a little little raised bed in your front or backyard, or it could be turning your whole front yard into a garden and growing tons of your own fruits and vegetables. Um... Foraging-wise, you could learn the weeds that grow around you. A lot of what we consider weeds are actually some of the most nutritious plants on earth, dandelions, plantago. You know, here in Florida, we have Spanish needle or Biden's alba that people spend years trying to rid their lawn of, but it's actually a nutritious and medicinal plant. Mm. So learning, learning some of those readily abundant uh, plants that grow around us that are edible and delicious. Um, those would be you know some of those you know beginner steps that are also fun and empowering and can you know really add value to your life
0: yeah absolutely and i think often when you feel like you wake up to a massive massive issue Uh, it can feel very confusing as to where to start. So thank you for sharing your tips. And I'll give a shout out to a wonderful guy who you'll have to meet when you're down here called Diego, um, whose Instagram is the weedy one. Maybe you already follow him, Um, but he's fantastic at how he's a weed and foraging advocate. And uh, I met him years and years ago and he speaks so passionately about wild food. His knowledge is crazy. And, um, and I think that that could be a really inspiring place for people to start, just to even connect to following people on Instagram who show you how different things could be if you connected to them. Rob Greenfield, definitely. Thank
1: you. Yes, definitely finding local foragers is a really... You don't have to go out and figure it yourself. If you can find local foragers, mm. like the weedy one, um, then you can... Just go out with them and you can learn foraging. And, you know, some of the people, they charge, say, $20 to go on a class or $30 or $10. But the the amount of knowledge you get from that is worth thousands of dollars. So that's a, a really great way to go. And one other thing along those lines is a app called Falling Fruit. Ooh. And that is an app and a website where you can go and uh, find people enter food that's growing, fruit trees, all sorts of things. And you can go onto that app and see if you can find things in your area and literally just go right to
0: that spot. So great. Ah, oh, so many good ideas. Rob, thank you so much for another fabulous conversation. I always feel so much more positive about the world after talking to you. Uh, we are thrilled that you're coming out to Australia next year. And for everybody around the world, it sounds like you might get a chance to see Rob speak near you with the 2020 that's coming. Thanks once again, and, uh, and we look forward to continuing to watch your wonderful adventures.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me on.
0: Maybe we'll make it a yearly event. I think we should. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics, as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action. Uh, And uh, there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit uh, stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written over the past nine years of writing a blog. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P A T R E O N dot com forward slash lowtox life and come join the private lowtox life club in there over time more and more cool stuff is about to be added and i can't wait to see where that community takes us it's a place where we can continue the conversations chat about the weekly show you're going to get bonus uh q a and all sorts of things over time i explain everything over on patreon so i encourage you to check that out and in the meantime i'll see you next week Yesterday.